Today's reading is from Acts 25, verse 23, right through to 26.32. Sorry, am I too far, too close? The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entertained the audience room from the high-ranking military officers from the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. And then um, chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify. If they are willing and I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. So I was, sorry, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Sorry. <coughs> to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was done Sorry, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king arose, and with him the governor and Venice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So uh, be thankful. Uh, of course, you probably would have enjoyed listening to five and a half chapters out of this story from Acts. Uh, Acts is amazing, isn't it? It's a great reading. Uh, Acts. Okay, so I want you now, we've been here in, in Acts for a while. Um, before Christmas, we did a, a whole section and then we had a bit of a break and we've come back to it now. This isn't the last one. There's one more next week, uh, just to, f- to wrap it all up. But, um, you know, Paul... Paul has been on these three missionary journeys. We've had the, the kind of start of the church and then various things, Stephen and so on, and, and then Paul and his three missionary journeys. And where we're up to now, these five and a half chapters uh, describe Paul's time in Jerusalem, back in Jerusalem and Caesarea, before he, he's kind of shipped off to Rome. And so it's that time that we're looking at today. But, but I want you to imagine... 
Um, and you might remember John's word last week as he opened up, you know, uh, and um, you know, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he meets up with the, the elders from Ephesus and there's that kind of sad goodbye. But you're Paul. You've got these three journeys behind you and you're heading to Jerusalem. What emotions are you experiencing at this time? What's happening for you? Because if you can remember, and I'm sure you can, in every town that, that Paul has travelled, ultimately the Jews have in some form at least opposed him, and oftentimes quite seriously. You are now heading into the Jewish heartland. That's where you're going. You've heard prophetic warnings uh, along the way about what's going to happen to you there. Jesus was killed in Jerusalem, wasn't he? So how you feel? So put yourself in Paul's shoes. Now, we're covering this big section. I've called uh, this sermon Five. It's kind of an unusual name, but I've called it Five. This is all just a bit of fun, really, um, because that's how many trials he experienced during his time in Jerusalem and Caesarea, it's also, before going off to Rome. It's also the number of chapters that Luke dedicates to those five trials. Five, right? So chapters 20, the end of chapter 21 tells about Paul arriving in Jerusalem and his initial arrest, and then 22 to 26, five chapters, five trials. Now, um, it's interesting, I think, that Luke allocates so much space to these trials. Five chapters. Why so much detail, do you think? Why so much space? When I first looked at this, I thought to myself, wow, five trials, five chapters, that's you know, fairly repetitive. Let's just do this in one sermon, right? And, but, yeah, and that's what we're going to see. But it's important to understand as we do this, that Luke didn't do that. He didn't just go, oh, five trials, five, I'll just do it in one little thing. He's he's this is obviously, these trials are important to him. And so hopefully as we look at it today, we'll get some sense of why they were so important to Luke. So what I want to do now is basically just review this whole section. So, you know, some of you might have read you know, from halfway through chapter 21 to the end of 26 in preparation for today. Uh, but some of you won't have even known about that request, let alone had time to do that. So I'm just going to review. There's going to be a quick run through these five and a half chapters. Are you ready? This is what happened. Okay, and you can follow if you've got a Bible there. We're starting from 21 verse 17, right? Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He's warmly welcomed there. So... He meets up with James and the elders, right? So the, the kind of the, the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem, where, where he's warmly encouraged. And then they report on how things have been going, what God's been doing through them. You know, Paul and then the Jerusalem leaders, Paul saying about, you know, how God's been at work through his ministry to the Gentiles and all these ones coming to faith, telling them. And then James and the elders talking about how thousands of Jews have been coming to faith in Jesus. Um, through, through their ministry there. So they're sharing these encouragements. That's how it starts. However, old sensitivities are still very much alive, aren't they? And so the Jews have heard 
that Paul has been telling Jews um, that they don't need to follow Jewish laws and customs. Don't follow Jewish laws and customs. Now, that's not true, that he's been telling them not to follow those, their, their laws. Uh, and so Paul and James agree that Paul will show his support for these laws and customs and for the Jews by participating in these Jewish purification rites. So you can see all that in chapter 21. Now, it's probably no surprise that it still isn't very long before some Jews from the province of Asia, who were there in Jerusalem, they might have even been from Ephesus, where Paul had spent quite a bit of time. Right? Not long before they stir up the crowds. This is still in chapter 21. Right? The crowds and these, these Jews from Asia, they're on the verge of killing Paul um, when, the, when the Roman commander and his soldiers, they turn up and rescue him from the Jewish crowds. Now, with all the uproar, the Roman commander can't work out what it is that is the problem with Paul, why they want to kill him. And so he's taking Paul into the barracks. But on the way, Paul asks for permission to speak to the people. Okay? This becomes his first trial. Right? So this, now we're up to these trials. So trial number one, which is chapter 22. This is Paul before a Jewish crowd that had just been trying to kill him. He's on the steps outside the temple on the way up to the barracks. And Paul offers his defence. This is his first time. And what he says is, I was a devout Jew. I was more zealous than, any, than anyone in persecuting Christians. That was me. Right? Until Jesus stopped me in my tracks. That's basically what he says. It's going, it's going okay until he, he tells them how God sent him to the Gentiles. Now the Jews don't respond well to this. And, uh, and, and so this creates this uproar. Um, and, and so the Roman soldiers, they're still trying to understand what the real problem is here. And so they decide to take Paul away to flog him and interrogate him, hopefully get some answers. But that changes very quickly when Paul tells them he's a Roman citizen. Okay, that's the first trial, chapter 22. We're going okay. Are you going okay? He's here. He's going again and again and again, right? Second trial, chapter 23. This is the next day. The Roman commander gets Paul there and he brings him before the chief priests in the Sanhedrin, right? The key kind of religious leaders, the supreme Jewish council in Jerusalem. He brings him before them. Presumably, he's hoping to get the answers he needs. What's going on here, right? So Paul before them. Now, during Paul's defence this time, which isn't received very well by the Jews. You might remember that's the bit where they slap him around a bit, right? But during this, Paul mentions the resurrection, right? And the thing about the resurrection is they don't all, the, the Jewish um, leaders and so on, they don't all agree about that, right? So they have this big fight about it. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, do you remember? The Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Have you heard that one before? That's how you remember it. Okay. Um, anyway, in the midst of all this that Paul's kind of ignited, um, he's at risk of being ripped apart. So again, the, the, the Roman uh, commander rescues him from the middle of the Jewish fight again this time. Right? Now, now that night, the Lord encourages Paul. He says, guess what? You're going to testify to me in Rome as you have here in Jerusalem. Rome's a big deal. It's a long way away. It's the centre of the empire there. 
Uh, now, in the midst of all this, the Jews conspire to kill him. Uh, you know, they say, 40 of them or something say, we're not going to eat or drink till we've killed him. Right? Paul hears about this. He makes sure the Roman commander hears about this. And so the commander has Paul safely transferred to Caesarea, a little way away, and Governor Felix, and he sends him off with a letter that says he doesn't understand why the Jews want Paul dead. Right? So there he goes. Now, so that's the end of trial number two. Trial number three, chapter 24. Now he's in Caesarea and he's in front of Governor Felix this time, right? Governor Felix, governor of Judea, right? Now, the Jews, they come from Jerusalem to Caesarea, right? Led by the high priest, Ananias. He's got his lawyer with him. And they come to bring their charges before Festus against Paul. This is the third trial, right? You know, their charges, Paul is a troublemaker. He's been stirring up riots all over, all over the world. Paul defends himself. He says, I wasn't stirring up trouble when they found me in the temple in Jerusalem. I'd only been there for 12 days. Right? They can't prove their charges, he says. I believe the Jewish law and, and the prophets, just like they do. Right? I have the same hope for the resurrection, he says. This is Paul's defence. There's similar themes each time. Now, Felix listens to this. He, he adjourns the proceedings, uh, but he keeps Paul under guard with some freedoms. Right? Now, the thing about this is this then extends for about two years. Right? So he leaves in there for two years, in this situation for two years. Felix would regularly, it says, call Paul in so that he could listen to Paul talk about Jesus. Uh, but he was also, it says, hoping to receive a bribe from Paul during this time. So Festus, is, um, Felix has got a few issues. But anyway, two years passes. Eventually, Felix is going to be succeeded by a guy called Festus as the governor of Judea. And so, and so Felix leaves Paul in jail as a favour to the Jews. Okay, you're still with me? That's three trials, two to go. You won't remember all this, but you'll get bits of it. You'll get the patterns and you'll see where we're going. Okay, trial number four, chapter 25. Here he is. He's now in Caesarea before the new governor, Festus. Right? Now, Festus, soon after starting, he goes off to Jerusalem where the Jews present their case against Paul. And they say, Festus, can you please transfer Paul to Jerusalem, um, you know, so that we can um, have another trial with him here? but they're planning to kill him on the way. Right? Festus says they can bring their charges against Paul in Caesarea. So, okay. so then they go to Caesarea. During this trial, this is the one where Paul appeals uh, to Caesar and Festus agrees to send him on to Caesar. Right? So that's the fourth trial. We've still got one to go because what happens is a few days later, King Agrippa comes to visit Festus to kind of pay his respects this new I guess, as the governor of Judea. And um, Festus tells Agrippa about Paul's case while he's there. Agrippa wants to meet Paul, and so Festus arranges it. Now, as he introduces Paul to Agrippa, Festus says, well, he actually admits that he's got a problem. And his problem, he says, is, I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Right? He doesn't know what to say. It's a pretty good point, really, isn't it, in all of this? Okay, so he's hoping Agrippa might be able to help him. 
what am I going to say to, to uh, the emperor when I send this guy on to him? Um, okay, so this effectively becomes his fifth and final charge before he, uh, trial before he goes off to Rome. So this is still in Caesarea, but this time before King Herod Agrippa II, right? There he is. Now, in his defence this time, Paul again asserts his Jewish background and zeal. You know what? I, I'm, I was as zealous as Jew as any of you and so on. Again, the, he, he says, the Jesus I preach is no more than the fulfilment of the Jewish hope. Right? Again, he points out that he was the most enthusiastic persecutor of Christians himself before Jesus came along and stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus and gave him this ministry, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Right? This is why the Jews opposed me, he said, because this ministry to the Gentiles. Right? Now, it seems, you might remember from our reading, that Paul is close to convincing Agrippa to become a Christian, maybe. But no, it doesn't happen. And uh, when it's all over, we kind of finish up there, you might remember, with Agrippa and Festus saying, they agree, Paul doesn't deserve death, he doesn't deserve to be in prison. Um, and, and that brings us to the end of our time in Jerusalem and Caesarea. Okay, you can breathe now. <sighs> that was those five and a half chapters. Are you okay with all that? <laughs> Bit of a story. I hope, I, I hope you stayed with me for it. Um, what, I wanna, what I'm going to do now, in the remaining time, is say, well, out of all that, what do we learn from it? What's God saying to us in all of this? What can we see in Paul's example, in what happened to him, in how God was allowing things to happen to him? What can we reflect on and bring into our lives today? Okay? You okay with that? I'm sticking with the fun bit. Because we got five trials, five chapters, I thought I would have five things that we'll learn. And they're all going to start with F, just for fun. Okay, hopefully it's still okay. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's okay. See what you think. Number one, okay, what do we learn? We look at the his fit, fitting in, I've called it, the way Paul fit in with things. Now think about this, especially right back at the beginning when he first comes to Jerusalem. What's he do when he first arrives? He fits in as best he can. He, he, said, he, he participated in those Jewish purification rites, didn't he? Now, that wasn't, that, the whole idea was he wanted to do whatever he could to show that he was not against Jewish laws and customs, because he wasn't. He didn't do it to be accepted by God or because in any way at all doing those, for obeying those customs was required for salvation or anything like that. They'd sorted all that stuff out already. Think about the Council of Jerusalem back in chapter 15. You don't need to follow these rules to become one of God's people through Jesus. But then there's, this issue is kind of still there. Despite the rumours... Paul wasn't trying to stop Jews from being Jews in his ministry. He was just trying to stop Jews from trying to make Gentiles be Jews. That's what he was doing because it wasn't necessary for their salvation. Right? He was quite willing to comply with Jewish laws himself when it was going to be helpful. Remember, he had had his cider Timothy circumcised even, right, obeying Jewish laws for the sake of their ministry to the Jews. He had no problems with this. 
And now again he shows his willingness to fit in and follow Jewish religious kind of customs and practices out of love and respect for his Jewish brothers and sisters. That's what Paul is all about. That's the way he operates. Fellowship with his Jewish brothers was very, very important to him. If, If that would help, he would do it. Okay, what are the implications for us, do you reckon? What are the implications for us as we look at Paul's example here? There's probably a number, but the first thing that came to my mind, I thought, I thought of the number of times, and you've probably seen similar, where churches, some people in some of our churches, you know, um, might complain or refuse to participate in worshipping together with you know, other believers, perhaps because they don't like the style of music, for example or some other kind of cultural expression or style of worship, aspect of the style of worship. You know, rather than out of love, being willing to participate for the sake of each other and encouragement, there's that sense of, you know, not being willing. You know, now, that's just one example. You can probably think of others. But it shows, doesn't it, how different we can be to Paul at times. And it should be so much easier for us because we're not out to get each other like the Jews were with Paul. Right? So, love. You know, Paul, he knew he was free. He didn't have to follow these laws. Just like we are. In Christ we are free. But we are free to love and to serve in the way of Jesus, aren't we? And so that, that's our principle here. When we do this, when we give up our rights or whatever, for the sake of others and for love and unity, God is glorified. It's a beautiful thing. Now, as I was thinking about this today I thought you know what this is one of the best churches I've been in in terms of I think uh, the freedom and the love and that kind of generosity of spirit that allows people who are different to each other to come together including across generations for example there aren't too many people saying oh I don't like it when it's done that way or something people just love to be there for each other and encourage each other That's my kind of sense of this church and I'm greatly encouraged by it. When we do that, we glorify God. Yeah, be encouraged. Hey, give yourself a clap. Why not? But, yeah, I mean, we're not perfect, are we? But um, I'm thankful to God for that freedom, right? Loving each other is more important than a particular style or whatever, or my preferences. Okay, there's, there's one thing we can learn from Paul's example here, right? Really going out of his way to fit in for the sake of his brothers and sisters. Okay, Secondly, the next F, fearlessly witnessing. And in some ways, this is the other side of the coin here, right? Paul did whatever he could to fit in, didn't he? But at no time did that stop him from fearlessly witnessing to what he'd experienced and to what he knew about Jesus Christ, right? Including the bits that he knew would really upset some of them. Right? It didn't stop him. Right? Through the five trials, right? And we kind of reviewed them again and again. You would have noticed that that Paul testified to how Jesus turned his life around, how Jesus had fulfilled the, 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 the Jewish hope, which was always going to be very touchy given the role that they'd played in his crucifixion. Right? To say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish hope to the Jews who knew very well that they participated in having him crucified, that was always going to be a difficult thing to be saying, right? 
and, 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 and that he'd taken the gospel, he'd been called to take the gospel to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. He was willing to say it all out there because salvation through Jesus is for all people, not just a few, not just the Gentiles. And so he, he was out there. He did it. He gave it to them. Nothing stopped him, even though he knew this wouldn't be easy. He didn't want to upset people. We know that, don't we? Because of the lengths he went to to try and fit in on stuff that he could fit in with. right? And yet, he fearlessly preached the whole gospel. He did, the whole message. He tried to do it in persuasive ways to try and help them to understand that he wasn't against them. So, for example, saying, you know, I was as zealous as any of you. I was the chief persecutor of the Christians. I know where you're coming from here. right? He said all of that stuff to try and get them to understand. And, and yet still he would, he would speak it out and then he suffered for it. It was costly for him, wasn't it, to continue to say that whole message. Okay, implications for us, pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we're not willing to fit in because of our own little preferences. Sometimes for, 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 we're not willing to fit in for the sake of love. But other times we're so keen to fit in that we're not willing to share the bits that might upset people, aren't we? That's what happens. You know, and so sometimes evangelism becomes, you know, sharing our faith becomes, you know, encouraging people to follow Jesus because it's all just so good, which it is. But, you know, this becomes our whole message. It's just so good. The grace of God. There's heaven. You can have a friend and a, like a guide for life. You can have all these blessings in the here and now. All of that, right? And yet, I don't know, didn't Jesus say, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me? Didn't he say that? When one man, just a little bit after this, says he wants to follow Jesus, didn't Jesus, did Jesus say, oh, come along, it's going to be great, life's going to be beautiful after this, just follow me. He didn't say that, did he? He said... Foxes have dens and birds have nests, even foxes and birds. But the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Right? If you want security, if you want comfort in this life, don't follow me, Jesus is saying. Right? I don't know if that really meshes with the way we try and kind of sell the gospel sometimes these days. Right? And of course, the whole basis of it, why do we need grace? Grace is great, but why do we need it? Because of sin. Right? We've got grace, we do. Don't hear me wrongly here, but there's sin, man. And unless people come face to face with the reality and the seriousness of sin in their lives, grace doesn't mean anything. And, uh, you know, Jesus, he went to the cross because of our sin. It is serious. So unless part of our message is helping people come face to face with a beautiful God who loves us even though we are broken and we need to humble ourselves in forgiveness, in, in repentance before him, to receive that beautiful forgiveness and grace, unless we have that whole message, right? Um, we're compromising, and it's not gonna. It's not gonna. It doesn't cut it. We want to fit in. Yes, we want to fit in. We want to love people. We want to do what we can to respect and honour their ways and their preferences and things, but never at the expense of fearlessly witnessing to the whole message of Jesus, right? That's the second lesson. You got it. Fitting in and fearlessly witnessing. Paul is a fantastic. 
an outstanding example, isn't he, of both of these things. The third F we've got is found innocent. Now, this is interesting, right? The hostility of the Jews, his own people, as the hostility of the Jews that are meant to be so good, the people of God, as that grows, we can't help, can we, but notice how much that absolutely contrasts with the response of the Romans and the soldiers and the Roman, the secular justice system here. I mean, that's really, really interesting. I think sometimes as Christians, we like to kind of want to be kind of, we kind of mistrust a lot and don't want to go along with the authorities or whatever. We kind of assume they're all against us. That's not what's going on here. Right? Paul's Roman citizenship is actually what benefits and protects him more than once. Did you notice? More than once. You know, when he asked to speak to the people on the steps on the way into the barracks outside the temple court at the end of chapter 21, it's his Roman citizenship that opens the, the way for that. When the soldiers are about to uh, interrogate him, right, and, and flog him and so on, in chapter 22, it's his citizenship that protects him there. Um, it's when he appeals to Caesar in chapter 25, it's his citizenship that gives him that right, right? Roman justice has already been Paul's friend through the journeys, right? It led to him receiving an apology in Philippi after being beaten and imprisoned. Remember that? In chapter, that's chapter 16. In Corinth, so we're in chapter 18 now, Gallio, the proconsul, refused to even listen to the accusations of the Jews there. Um, you know, without even listening to them, he dismissed them. Paul's uh, Roman justice, right? In Ephesus, you might remember, we looked at this, the city clerk and other officials, they helped out, they defended Paul in the midst of these riots and so on. They rebuked the crowd even. This is in chapter 19. You might remember we looked at that. Um, so it's Roman justice that has protected him a number of times. Now he's in Jerusalem, and who is it that rescues him from the Jews? It's a Roman commander, right? Twice, from the crowds, from interrogation by torture, Right? He protects him from a murder plot by whisking him, whisking him off to Caesarea with you know, hundreds of soldiers. Right? This is a lot of protection. Right? And in his letter, the commander, in his letter to Felix, he affirms right, there's no charge against him that deserves death or imprisonment. That's Roman justice kind of happening. Paul's repeatedly found not guilty in the Roman trials. Right in the different trials. Festus tells King Agrippa, doesn't he? I found he had done nothing deserving of death. That's what I found. Right? Agrippa says this man isn't doing anything deserving death or imprisonment. He could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Right? So this is, this is Roman justice, just like with Jesus, actually. The Roman authorities found nothing against him. They couldn't. Right? Now, this isn't Luke saying Roman justice is perfect. Right? You don't need to read this too carefully to see that. And there's that, all that business about Felix being willing to be bribed and all that kind of stuff and leaving him in jail. I mean, he was innocent, yet he still was kept under arrest all this time and so on because they're trying to please the Jews. Right? But, but the point here is Paul hadn't done anything to offend uh, the, Jewish, uh, the, the, the Roman law. And so ultimately, you know, in this greater sense, he enjoyed its support in the face of all this opposition from the Jews. Now, it's worth noting that it would have been very convenient for the Romans to, to find something, some problem with Paul, wouldn't it? If they could have found something, they would have, because that would have made their lives much easier in terms of their relationship with the Jews. So, 
the conclusion I draw from that is Paul must have been a pretty honourable, law-abiding citizen. He must have been a pretty good guy in terms of you know, that kind of civic life that he lived. And again, you might remember that we picked up on this. It was a while ago, so maybe you don't remember. But when we looked at Ephesus and we were trying to understand why the city clerk and the others stuck up for Paul, we said, well, he was probably a very respectable citizen. They liked him. Um, so, I don't know, implications for us? I mean, it's good, where possible, to be respectable, law-abiding citizens, to be people of good repute. I mean, that's one of the qualifications for leaders in the church, isn't it? So, so that we can um, earn the right, in a sense, enjoy the support, at least, of the secular state to continue to uh, proceed with the, the ministry of the gospel in peace. Right? That, that should be an aim of ours. The only offence, where there might be one, should be the stuff that actually really matters, which is the offence of the cross. That's the only offence, otherwise. Okay, so look, um, found innocent, there's another kind of thing we might learn. Think about our, our witness in the world there. Okay, the fourth one, fourth F that we're going to take away. It gets shorter, by the way, so we hold on. Um, this is a bit tricky. You going, going to catch on to this one, do you reckon? He was fully vindicated in his ministry to the Gentiles, right? It's just important to notice this. He's fully vindicated in his ministry to the Gentiles, a message that salvation is for all people through Jesus, right? Now, we see this in a number of ways. You've got Jewish hostilities grown in Jerusalem. They're determined to kill him. They want to they get rid of him. They're riling up the crowds, all of this. They're demanding his death. Uh, the religious leaders almost tear him apart at one point. There's this secret plot to ambush and kill him. There's all this opposition from the Jews, right? When they drag Paul from the temple, you might have noticed this, in chapter 21, they drag him out and he's on his way up these stairs or whatever. It actually says in chapter 21, verse 30, the gates to the temple are shut. And, you know, I, I reckon Paul's put, uh, Luke's put that there very purposely. It's, it's a powerful symbol, I think, of, of, how, of, of the kind of Jewish rejection of the gospel as the temple gates are shut and Paul is dragged out. Paul and his gospel message is dragged out. The doors were shut and it's, it's like this vindication that in going to the Gentiles, Paul has been doing the right thing. But there's more to it there. Um, many of you would be familiar with John Stott. I was looking at his... Com- he's got a commentary in the Bible Speaks Today series on Acts, and he very clearly highlights the parallel that Luke seems determined to set up between Paul and Jesus through these chapters. And so, for example, there are all these kind of similarities in terms of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and Paul's journey to Jerusalem. Uh, But then there are all these similarities once they get to Jerusalem. So I'm just going to read. He says, on arrival, both Jesus and Paul won were rejected by their own people, arrested without cause and imprisoned. Two, they were unjustly accused and willfully misrepresented by false witnesses. Three, they were both slapped in the face in court even. Four, they were the hapless victims of secret Jewish plots. Look at chapter 23 verse 12 onwards. And five, they heard the terrifying noise of a frenzied mob screaming away with him, Jesus and Paul. 
And it's not just that these things happen, it's that Luke bothers to mention them, to highlight the parallels. There's also six, they were both subjected to five trials, would you believe it? So maybe that's part of the answer to why we've got all five recorded here uh, for Paul. Jesus was uh, on trial before Annas, the Sanhedrin, King Herod Antipas, and twice by Pilate. And then Paul, as we've seen today, by the crowd, the Sanhedrin, King Herod, uh, Agrippa II, and the two governors, Felix and Festus. So both of them five trials. So there's all these similarities. Surely in this very clear parallel to Jesus, one of the things Luke wants us to see is that this isn't some weird idea of Paul's to go to the Gentiles. His ministry to the Gentiles is completely true to the ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ. It's true to them, his, his walking in the way of Jesus in his ministry to the Gentiles, that salvation is for all people. He's fully vindicated in Luke's account. So there you go. That was a little bit tricky for you. hope it was okay. But, you know, what's this mean for us? It's really quite straightforward, isn't it? Just that there is no question, is there? No question that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus opens up the way of salvation for all who would put their faith in him, for all people. There's no question. This is what Jesus was all about. This is what Paul was preaching. There is no favoritism and there's no one left out of the invitation. The gospel of Jesus. How beautiful. And Paul was fully vindicated in that. Okay, last one. This is a shorty. You ready? F, fifth F that we're learning from the five trials out of the five chapters, is that Paul was free. Paul was free. Did he look free to you? This prisoner? He was, in fact, free. He was very free. He was free to fulfill his calling, to take the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to to the people of of Israel. That was his call in Acts 9.15. He was free to fulfill his call. He was also free from his own bondage to sin, wasn't he? And from kicking against the goads, as it's described there, uh, before, which was his life before Christ intervened. He's free. And there's not only his freedom, not only was Paul freedom, sorry, not only was Paul free, uh, but all who heard and responded to the message he brought about salvation through Jesus for both Jews and Gentiles, they found freedom too those who responded with a soft heart to his message and ministry. Freedom. And then not just them, let's think beyond the time of these events, down through the centuries, to people like even you and me today, who hear this message of salvation through Jesus Christ, of his grace for sinners, right? of the freedom and the hope that we can have. We can be free because of Jesus' ministry and the ministry and words of those like Paul that we read about in the Scriptures. Freedom, freedom, freedom very much characterises the life and the impact of, Paul, of this so-called prisoner, uh, the Apostle Paul. I love the way, I love the way Jesus turns things upside down. He was free. Okay, let's pray with thankful hearts. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you for Paul, the Apostle Paul, and... Um, Lord, most of all, we thank you for the way you intervened in his life and uh, you made his zeal uh, valuable in your kingdom. 
and uh, you used him. And uh, you gave him that courage. And you gave him the wisdom. You gave him that heart and that passion that we see as he sought to fit in. But as he was willing to fearlessly witness, found innocent, fully vindicated and free. Lord, help us to, uh, to learn from Paul's example and uh, the way you worked through him and loved him and brought great fruit down through the ages because of his faithfulness to you. Help us to be faithful in similar ways through your Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.